All righty. Good morning. <laughs> so we are on. Good morning to the group there that are listening, whoever is out there, who is out there right now. So far, Martha. Uh, Good morning. Kathy. Hi, how are you? Doing great. How are you? There's Martha. I can't see her face, but I see her head, her forehead. <laughs> there you are, Martha. Hi. Hi. Oh, it's so nice to have you back. This is great, isn't it? And all right. Well, listen, hi to everybody. Now, I have a question to ask you guys this morning real quick before we start. It's all about logistics of how I handle what we're fixing to go through. Um, I, for some unbeknownst reason, decided to listen to Kay's uh, video this week. I was, usually I put on a Walt Disney, right? And listen to it in the background while I'm doing homework. This time I decided I'll just put on Kay just for, for fun, right? It was really good. And what she's gonna, she does is she covers a lot of the history the, of the reality of some of the things that we are looking at. And she does a really good job of explaining it. So my question is, would you guys like me to expedite my lesson this morning? We'll get the facts down. It won't be a problem. But would you like to listen to Kay's uh, video today? Yes? I think it would be worth it. It's because it really does take you into some clarity on what it is that you're, you're looking at with you know, the, the history, the things that have happened. Yes. Okay. So we'll do that. So on the zoom, then we will be done in about 30 or 60 minutes here. We're going to set the timer for one hour. <laughs> okay. And so let's go. And we want to welcome, we have a guest this morning. Would you like to introduce our little girl? This is my granddaughter, Kaylin. Uh, we are so, Kaylin. And how old are you now? 11 years old. Ooh. That's a perfect age to start introducing them to precept too. It really is. A lot of there's a lot of curriculum out there through precept for for her age group. So, my daughter started precept at eleven. I mean, she didn't do a great job, but yeah. Well, she didn't she didn't do a great job at it because she was so busy with schoolwork, you know. But still, it's a good thing to have and have some exposure to it because they love it. I remember Christina Dawson way back. When hers were little at Kaylin's age, they also came in, her, both of her daughters, I think, were here at one time. Anyway, so they loved it. They learned a lot. And so it was worth it. It was a good time to expose them. Okay, so we need to request for prayer. Anything specific as I open us in prayer this morning? This youth group on their trip, they're on their mission trip to Colorado. Oh, so. okay. Don't think they're going to hit that snowstorm. I think we kind of missed them. So good. Yeah, we don't want them on the road in a snowstorm. Yeah. How about you all? Any any special requests? Hey, Michelle. My my dad is having surgery right now. I'm in New York. My dad is having surgery right now as we speak. So oh, praying for his covering and then an opportunity for our family to minister to the people around us. Surgery. It, what kind of surgery? He, he bladder. He had um, he had a tumor. They took the tumor out, and it was diagnosed with stage two bladder cancer. Oh no! Okay, all right. Well, this is definitely a great opportunity, also to have you with us. But yet you're far away, so yes, we have one of those. And <laughs> Thank God for Zoom. Thank God for Zoom. <laughs> yeah, and this will distract you for an hour while you're waiting for yes. news, right? Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Bless your heart. Oh, no kidding. This is what I've been here. Oh, yeah. That's what we were told about our home, that we would, if we sold now, we could make a fortune, triple our money, really. But then you can't buy something. But if you can't buy a house, what good does it do to sell it, right? Okay, we'll be praying for you for house hunting. Make sure all these requests, if, if somebody could make sure they all go in here and that way we'll remember. Someone write one for Michelle, a card out for Michelle for her. This is your dad or your father-in-law, Michelle? My dad, your my dad. dad. Okay, so mm -hmm. for Michelle's dad. Okay, all right, let's pray. Father, we are blessed again to be here in your house and to be gathered together um, just as brothers and sisters in Christ and just to have the opportunity to come together for fellowship. It's, it is such a joy and such a, a 
an anointing to our hearts and our spirits to have this time. So Father, thank you so much for this. Thank you for these who are faithful, who even on Zoom, they make that extra effort to you know, plug in and be, be available to hear what we're doing here and to join in on the spiritual growth for their own personal value. But also, Father, we, we gain as we come together with one another, as we allow iron to sharpen iron. And so, Father, thank you for that. Um, we do want to lift up our youth in our church who are out on a missions trip or a youth, youth retreat. And we ask, Father, that you would just protect them, um, allow them to have a really awesome time in you, that they will just gain these valuable memories and impressions upon their hearts and souls of how lovely it is to be in the presence of those who love you and Father, how valuable this is for their lives in the future. And I just pray that this will have a lasting impact for them and for those that they are out there um, in contact with this week. So just protect them and bring them home safely and watch over them in all the ways that are needed. Um, Father, we pray for Michelle's dad right now as he's in surgery this very moment. Father, you know the needs that he has there. And um, although we trust our doctors as we go into surgery. We, we obviously are um, you know, a, agreeing with them that there's a need for the surgery and we're agreeing that um, they have the skills and the abilities to handle the things that need to be done. But Father, you are the true healer and you are the true protector of life. And so we ask that you would just watch over Michelle's dad as he's in surgery, give him strength as he goes through this, give him strength for recovery. Father, we pray for a positive outcome of uh, the things that the doctor will see in there. And Father, in all this, we ask that you would just give everyone's heart um, the comfort that they need and the encouragement that they need as they go through this very trying time as, as uh, Michelle's dad is in surgery. And Father, we pray for Karen in her house hunt. We know this is a difficult time. We also know that Angie has been doing the same thing in the process of moving. This is an interesting time in our nation on the whole and moving during all the COVID lockdowns and all the things that have been going on there. It's been real challenging. And so I ask that you would just bless Karen in her search, that you would provide the perfect home and that it would be something affordable, that the prices would not be so astronomical for her that she cannot really... Um, agree to sign on that line for a contract. So just give her wisdom and give her guidance and open doors, Father, that she might find what she needs and um, be with Angie and her family as they pack and move and all the, the things that have to go on there. That's challenging emotionally and it's stressful. <laughs> and so we just ask that you would just bless her and be with her in that. And for all the other unspoken requests, Father, people, are still dealing with the fallout from the freeze and frozen pipes and all those things. And so we ask that you would just take care of every need that you would be there, Father, with a provision for plumbers and house builders and whatever is needed, Father. We just ask that you would be in the midst of all that as well. We know that, Father, you see all these things, all of them. And Father, you are engaged and you care and Father, you are looking out for our, our welfare and our best. And even in the times of trial, Father, you have a design and a purpose for them. And if we will just continue to have faith in you, rest in you, and not stress over it. <laughs> but Father, truly just remember that you are the sovereign God and you determine the exact time and places we should live, that we might seek you and find you. And therefore, Father, we're going to place our trust in you on even these small details Father, that you care, that you're there, that you're guiding. Father, now be with us this morning as we open up Daniel chapter 8, and we go through all the details. There is a lot to see. Father, thank you so much for this vision you gave to Daniel and that was written down so that we might be encouraged through it and that we might learn from it, Father, that we might be prepared to, for the things that are yet ahead. Bless us allow your spirit father to teach each one of us we pray all this in jesus name amen okay we are at daniel chapter eight sure yeah absolutely yes see i have a hard time with the darkness too as you can see i turn lots of lights on for me because i can't see at all there's another window there too you should be able to 
no, right next to you there. That one, yeah. Hello, that ought to give you another boost. And that's both of those are right on you. So hopefully that'll help some. Yeah, if not, you can turn that little light on right there and point it right towards your table. Okay, okay, all right. I'm the same way, I'm so blind. Blind as a bat. Okay. All right. So Daniel chapter eight, this week we were asked to go through Daniel chapter eight, mark all your keywords, do your list making, and also draw pictures, right? Did y'all love the picture drawing? Um, let's see what we've got here for show and tell. Do you all have your pictures available? <laughs> I know you guys are fun. Okay, I did a box for each, basically for each verse, and I went line by line through to try to demonstrate what I thought was going on. Yeah, well, they're not that great. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's colorful. If nothing, it looks like a coloring book, right? I wish um, Susan were here. Susan Dietz was supposed to be joining us this morning, so I'm not sure where she is, but she's, uh, um, yeah, she's, an a, she's an artist. She. There's a picture downstairs above, right next to that little half bath it, off the kitchen of a Bible and a window over the top. And of, I think it's a still life of fruit there. She did that for me. That's one of her, her but she's very good. Anyway, so here we go. These are mine, but you can see that on mine, they're just little stick figures and I drew crowns and I make little statements in each one to help convey what's being said in there, right? What do you guys got? Anything? What What did you learn by doing this? Even, uh -huh. And and did you find that the, the doing of it was helpful to you? Did you find any kind of insights as you did your drawings that helped you clarify? Yes? No? Maybe? No? Okay, we can pass this one on to Caitlin. She might, or I mean, Caitlin, <laughs> sorry. Caitlin, and see if... <laughs> well, it's it's very close. I'm sorry, but yeah, Kaylin's. But you. I, I, I drew the earth. Did I you? Ah. Uh, the, the on the earth, fast. fast. <laughs> yeah. But now, when you drew things like the earth with with the goat passing over it very quickly, what did that impress to you as you drew that? That it what? It was something sudden. Yeah. Okay. Sudden. All right. When I I didn't draw it, but when I underlined it here without touching the ground, it had it being on water, so it's coming by ships. Oh, interesting. But now remember, here's the here's here's a, a caution word: don't add into what the scripture does not say. So if he's coming over the surface of the earth, that it didn't tell you water. It didn't tell you ships. Okay, just so you, because that's a learning tool as you go along. One of the things you don't do, it's, of course, in New Testament scripture, don't add to nor take away from my word, right? <laughs> you really should. So you want to be really careful that whatever it is that you draw, you draw exactly what it tells you, not what you emotionally seem to connect it to, but what you actually see or hear in the writing. So what I did is I simply drew an earth with the goat over it, moving fast swift and that is the idea of swiftness or maybe even suddenness but more about the swiftness of it that he's not even touching the surface of the earth that he's moving so quickly and also rapid the distance it, you know it told me that he was coming from some distance and geographically north uh, north and west of where Exactly. Now, and was the, ge the geography of it helpful for you too, where it said north, south, east, or west on each one of those? What did that help you as far as trying to figure out what was going on? Say it again. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. In a way, so what it really should have done for you is whatever direction was not listed would tell you where they're coming from. And the other directions are where he's going to, right? So if it said north, south, and to the toward the beautiful land, for instance, in one of them, what you know is it's not coming from the east. So where does that tell you he started? Somewhere, somewhere in the east, because he went west and he went north and he went south, right? So it's just one of those little things that I think when you actually uh, 
on mine at least anyway, I put a, a little compass sort of and just put north, south, east or west on each of them to help me see that, okay? All right, so hold on a second, let me grab my chart. All right, so now here's what we're gonna do since we are gonna stop to watch the video and we wanna make sure we get enough time to get everything in here. I'm gonna try to expedite this. So what I did was on your chart, did you notice I have Daniel two and, and seven? I think I have both of those. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, so I printed a sheet for the students and in there, I filled out for them Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, the, the basics, okay? Because we've gone over this already several times. And so there's, I, I can zip past that this morning and not have to spend a lot of time on that. We know those things are in the order that they are. The, the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. The breast and the arms of silver, right? come after that it says and after you after you Nebuchadnezzar another kingdom and then the belly and the thighs of bronze the, then another a third and then the legs of iron and the feet with the ten toes so that's in two and then in seven it's those four beasts the lion the bear the leopard and the terrifying beast okay so with those set in stone for us now let's go to um chapter eight and just kind of go through and talk about the things that we saw in there. We have two major characters in this particular one, in Daniel eight. And so what we're gonna do is as we move through, we're gonna to try to cover some of the main things. <coughs> Word studies. I know they weren't in your homework. Did you? Oh, huh? Host, okay, because that one you got, yeah, see, Host and stars, I figured would might be an issue. And then the commander of the host. But once you figure out the host, you know who the commander of the host is. However, it's still, those are the kinds of things that can be a problem. Um, I ended up doing a bunch of word studies just because I didn't know where you all would go, you know? So I think I've got about one, two, three, four, five pages of word studies. I know. <laughs> I know, it's called Overkill. I looked at Subsequent, Sousa, Elam, Uli, the Canal, uh, Magnified, the Conspicuous Harm. What did it mean by conspicuous? Um, enraged, the Beautiful Land. I also, did any of you struggle with knowing what the Beautiful Land was making reference to? If you're a Christian for a long period of time, probably not, right? But if you're new in Bible study, that might be a challenge. Then, then of course, commander of the host, the stars. Indignation. I did do that one. Where is it? Oh, transgression is the word, right? Uh, and then a holy one speaking to me. A holy one, not the holy one, but a holy one. Um, I also just kind of did a list about it. it pertains to the time of the end. This one was interesting because I looked up the word pertains. Did you do this one? But the word pertains is not an independent word. It's a total phrase, pertains to the end. So it was a phrase which connects it all together, which there you go. It begins to make almost all sense right away when you even look at it from that perspective. Right. And again, it's a whole phrase. It's not the word pertains. I thought the word pertains would be an independent word and it would develop it and it did not. Then there's also the last one, the prince of princes. Did that one throw anybody off a little bit because of the flow of thought in there? No. Okay. So those are here and I have them available. If you have any questions as we're going along, I can pull back into those and answer questions. Okay. Oh, human agency. Okay. I mean, it was obvious, but I still was curious about it. What did you, what did you learn? Because I didn't do that one. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Human. It's a human as opposed to a robot, right? Or as opposed to God, the A or an alien. That's right. No aliens in this story. Okay. Good. Excellent. All right. So let's start then with just looking at the basics. So you have two major subjects and what are they? Who are the two key players in chapter eight? The ram and the goat. So let's start in chapter eight with the vision. The first one presented to us, did you notice that the lion 
era is not even mentioned in chapter eight. So I thought that the way that it opens in verse one, he says about his vision um, that it's subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. So I find that then the fact that he jumps right into the, um, the ram makes sense because he's saying, I don't need to go back over, which is why I didn't do it either. I'm not going to cover all that, but he goes straight into the next part of what's given to him. So we have a ram. Now, what do we learn about the ram here in two and three? Before we get into the interpretation part, what do we learn in the initial vision? Okay, he has two horns. Uh, it says one longer. Yeah, longer than the other. Now, when you drew that, was that an interesting looking ram? Yeah, he must walk around with his head tilted, right? <laughs> longer one came up last. Okay, and that is in verse um, three. And two horns was also three. Okay, and what did he do? Again, now this is our geography. He was in front of the Ulai Canal. And what is the Ulai Canal? Okay. All right. Okay, good. So, so first we identify Susa, which is mm -hmm. geography-wise, this, this is a Persian uh, city, right? It's the capital of Elam. So Elam is the province, Susa is the city, and the Ulai Canal runs through it. Pretty simple, right? I, the reason I kind of want to bring that up, though, and, and, and you're right, it's not exactly a it's certainly not a, a, a natural river. It's a man-made canal. Sometimes <coughs> canals can be as big as rivers. I mean, and I have a feeling this one was quite large. Um, and interesting is later on, we see a man, and it says between the banks of the Ulai Canal. Now, what does that tell you about where he was, this person? One like a like a man, the one like, does it say like a man? What verse was that? One who, yeah, one who looked like a man in verse 15. So I sought to understand it and behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man, right? And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Ulai. So if Ulai is the canal that runs through the city, and he's between the banks. So there's a bank here and a bank here. Where is he? He's a, either above the water or in the water, but he says he looked up. So there, there, the idea is he's looking up. So that tells you he's above the water. Is that correct? He looks up. Okay, so when he's looking, I think I drew a picture of that with him looking up toward him. And I heard one speaking on that, uh, concerning that, and he said, um, now, while he was talking to me, I sank into a deep sleep and my face to the ground. But now this other holy one approached me. So this one, whoever he was, this man that was above the Ulai Canal or over the Ulai Canal or in the Ulai Canal, either way, he was between the two banks, correct? All right. So that's, I thought was just, just to try to totally get the picture that when you drew that out, it really did. Uh, I think kind of give a stronger impression of what about him? Supernatural. Something supernatural. Yeah. Because it's not like he's, like floating or something. he's floating or something. Yeah, He's not floating on the water, but he's above it, it says. He's not in it. He's above it. So if he's above it and he's between the banks, right, then he, somehow it gave me the impression of a supernatural being. Okay, now we see the ram. He is budding towards what? Uh, west, north, and south. 
and west, north and west. So that leaves our east blank. <laughs> and that gives us an idea as to what direction this ram was coming from, right? Okay, budding. West, north, and south. Okay, and that's in verse five. Okay, so that's pretty simple. Interesting, it doesn't get, what's? Oh, <laughs> what are you looking at? Oh, pictures. those pictures. Oh, no, they're not so good, but anyway. Okay, so <laughs> she's funny. I wish you'd have been my art teacher in school. <laughs> my art teacher never said that about my work ever. <laughs> okay, so that gives us the first one. Did you find it very interesting as you were going through this then when you moved into, into the second one that it seems like there seems to be more detail given to us. What is the second thing that appears to us? The shaggy goat. Now we're not gonna get everything up here on this shaggy goat, but like how many, how much detail is given to us when you enter to the shaggy goat? like a ton. Yeah. So if you just look at your list making, the ram versus the shaggy goat, what is, what is it that you learn by your list making? He's apparently more important, more significant than the ram in, in the message that Daniel is trying to convey right now, right? The, yeah, the ram's either short-lived or just less important, right? The details are minimal on the ram, but when you get to the shaggy goat, you get unbelievable details of information, right? So tell me what we learned about the shaggy goat. Um, coming from the west. Okay. <coughs> oh, somebody's got a cough. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody there is not feeling well who's coughing. <laughs> oh. So sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I thought I was muted. Oh, that's okay. No problem. We're just concerned about your cough. It didn't sound good. Sounded like you're having a little bit of health issue there. Okay. So the shaggy goat coming from the West, that's in verse five. What else do we learn? He's not, he's not just, he's only the whole surface. Yeah, he comes without touching the ground. Now, does that help you to see a little bit on the issue that we were just talking about earlier? Don't add to and don't take away. It says the ground. It doesn't say water. So it does say the earth. And he doesn't touch the earth or the ground. And he's going over the surface of it. So that, to me, would help you to clarify that we're not talking about ships. We're talking about something coming across the earth or across the ground area quickly, right? Without touching the ground. Uh, that's five. Thank you. <laughs> conspicuous, P-I-C-I-O-U-S. A conspicuous horn between his eyes. Okay, that's also in five. So we get all that information just in one verse. Um, when he comes across the earth very quickly like that without touching the ground, what do we see him do when he arrives? He rushes at the ram. Okay, and, and in the conclusion of it, what does he do? In verse seven, it says, what does he do to that ram? He shatters the two horns and he tramples him, correct? He tramples the ram. Um, what else? What's the next portion of this? Concerning the horn, what else do we learn next? Okay, interesting. Yeah, it was broken. But it says, as soon as he was mighty, 
Isn't that interesting? So it's almost like, you know how we always have this perception of in their prime, you know, they're doing really big things, really mighty things. And so it seems like this, whoever he is, he, he's coming and he's doing something. And while he's yet in his prime and he's just become mighty, he's just kind of arrived on the scene and gotten it all kind of handled. Then all of a sudden that horn is broken off, right? So he tramples the ram. Then it says the horn, um, the horn was shattered or broken. Okay, the large horn was broken. All right, now I'm cutting my wording down on this. Is that eight, verse eight? Okay, um, I cut, I'm cutting it down just a little bit for my, for the sake, but it says, as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. Then what happens? Then in his place, so in his place, yeah, and it's very interesting. In its place, the horn's place, right? We get four horns. Well, that's fascinating how that, I mean, that's right out of the history book, but the way it's pictorially written is. And such a concise use of wording, too. It's like he didn't have to go into a lot of, if I were writing it, I'm more like Paul, I'm very wordy. <laughs> and I would probably written pages on it before I finally got to the point. But he is very concise on this. He says, look, and as soon as he became mighty, and as soon as he basically arrived, he comes, as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place came up four horns. Now, the next point, so I like to use these little arrows when I'm, when I'm trying to show that there's a progression of things. So we, we see the four horns come up once the large horn is broken. Then what do we see concerning the information about the four horns? Four horns are pointed out to us and then concerning them what? And the four wings are Pardon? Out of them, out of the fourth, uh, one of the out of one of them no we don't know so here's what i like to do when i have a thing like that happen though is i just circle one and and give myself a yet again another arrow and say out of one of them and the the reason i like to do that for myself is to say it's not like in chapter seven right where there were ten uh, horns, right? And with that one, what happened when another one came along? Was it out of the 10? It says another, yeah, another one arises. So there's 10 and another one arises and he subdues and takes down three, right? But here he says, out of one of them, there comes this other king. Okay, so I think that's significant. It's important that we see definitely four kings or four horns, rather I should say, and uh, and then those four horns, uh, one of them, then something happens concerning him. He somehow becomes more prominent, doesn't he? Out of one of them, what does he do? It, out of one of them came what? Okay. Oh boy, a rather small. Horn. Now, did we have we had a horn sounds like this before? Mm -hmm. Again, back in chapter seven, where the ten horns and another horn arose, and that other horn was called what? The little horn. And now this one is called the rather small horn. Now, what could happen if you aren't careful about paying attention to the details? You could think that it's the same in just different wording, right? Okay, so this is why it's important to pay careful attention and also to do your list making and your timelining. Kay asked you at the end of your homework to go back and plug things in, right? Where did you put this rather small horn? In which kingdom did you put it? Greece. And or Greece. Now, with the little horn, where did you put it? Under the fourth kingdom, which is the terrifying beast. So this one is in the third, uh, under the third kingdom, but the little horn is on the fourth kingdom. And yet, this is interesting. 
how, how are you seeing comparisons when you start to go into the details on this rather small horn? How does he compare to the little horn? Definitely. What are the, what kind of similarities did you see? Or do, do you remember? God, yeah. The big one. Yeah. Real big one. Uh, stopping the sacrificing and basically going to war against the. Yeah. yeah. With uh, going to war against the saints. Yep. Apparently. I mean, this one is in verse 10 and 11. It says it grew up to heaven and it caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth and it trampled them down. Now we remember seeing trampling down with the little horn as well, don't we? And it even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. So let's talk about the host and the commander of the host. What are some of the details about the commander of the host? How is he described? In that... Okay. Yeah, the, so the, the rather small horn, he, see how I want to get the right, the wording on this correct. What does it say? Magnified itself to be equal with the commander of host, right? And what verse was that one? 11. 11. Thank you, Kristen. Okay. And what do you learn specifically about the commander of the host? What kind of things does this rather small harm do? How does he seem to attack? Well, it, it says that he, he removed the regular sacrifice from him. Very interesting. Host, and in the place of his, the commander of the host sanctuary. Ah, so now you have two real key words, don't you? The first thing is, as you see, the commander of the host has a set, he has a sanctuary. And that's what verse? 11. And he also, he has a sacrifice. And that's also in 11, right? All right, and I think um, when you go down into 13, he says, and then I heard a holy one speaking and another one said to that particular one who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice, so we're going to put that up here, has not only a sacrifice, but it's a regular sacrifice. And that's in verse 13, a regular sacrifice. And he says, how, will that, how long will that apply? While the transgression causes horror, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled. So he says he has a holy place. I shouldn't say a, his holy place is trampled. And that's in verse 13 also. So now what do you think is going on there? Who do you think the commander of the host is? God. Yeah, it's God. This is God. Okay. I mean, all you have to do is make your list on the commander of the host directly from the text. You don't have to do a word study, which I did. But you don't have to because once you make your list, the actually... It's clearer from your, your list made out of the text than it is even from doing the word study. Because the word study obviously does give you some other options you have to choose from. And then you have to make the best choice for your, your immediate context, right? Context rules for interpretation. So if you get a word study that gives you two or three options, you have to pick the one that best suits your context. But if you've already made your list, all by yourself, right from the text, you've already clarified who the commander of the host is. Now, if, if you see it in, from that perspective, then what do you think the host and the stars are that are connected to this commander? And by the way, they're the, he's the commander of what? Commander of the host, right? So who do you think the host are? You think they're angels? 
There you go. The Saints. Now let's let's clarify that though. You can go to hold on. Let me see my verse. I've got it written down here. Um, it'll be easier if I look here. Hold on a second, because it's in the interpretation part. Um, go to verse twenty-four. He talks about. He's talking about this. This rather small horn, which we haven't described yet, but it talks about the things that he's doing. And he says his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. Remember, we're into the interpretation part of this, right? And he says, and he will destroy who? Mighty men and the holy people. Because here's the thing that you have to understand about what we're looking at here is this is activity that's taking place right here on the earth. And it's a physical contact between a physical person and, a, and other physical people. So even mm -hmm. though we tend to want to go to angels because that's how we mm -hmm. tend to want to do, mm -hmm. the logic of the flow of thought here is this is against people who are sacrificing to God in his sanctuary, at his holy place, regular sacrifices, and they're being made to stop doing that. So who would that be? The saints, but not just the saints, the Jews. So the, we're speaking about the Jews or called the saints is another way of saying it. The Jews, the saints. And we're going to use um, 24, 8, 24. And it calls them there because if you want to know what is the host, the holy people. And what are the stars? Your interpretation is giving you right in verse 24. If it's the holy people are the host, who are, who are the stars? Mighty men. Why might we, might we call mighty men stars? Are you a star? Have you ever been a star running a race or doing something at school that you, you excelled in? Did you have, has, has you, did your teacher ever put your name on a star and put it up on the wall in the classroom? They don't do that. They don't do that anymore. But when you were little, didn't they? Sure. Teach it. Listen, I've been around schools and teachers for a lot of years. I've seen teachers do that. They cut out great big stars. And sometimes, particularly not at your age so much because you're a big girl now. But when, when you're little, when you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, the teacher will often put a star up on the board. And, and then you're a star for the day for something, either your line leader or, or, you, or you washed your hands properly or, you know, you get, to, you get a star for doing something great. Maybe it's even being the best one in a spelling contest that you did in the classroom or a math test that you took, but you're a star. Why are you a star? Why would you be a star? What does that mean? You did very, very good, right? You're very good. And so when you... Huh? You're a, You're a shining example. You know what's really interesting? Daniel talks about stars. Go to Daniel 12, somebody, because I don't have it in front of me. Let's see. Oh, I gotta, I guess I should open my up and tell you where. Uh, yes, in Daniel 12. Verse 3. In verse three, it says, and those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what is the pictorial imagery there? That being a star is somebody that does something exceedingly well, right? And so here in the interpretation portion of verse 24, he speaks of holy people, but he also speaks of what? Mighty men. Isn't that interesting? So the stars are mighty men. In Revelation 12, 4, when it says that the dragon, male, swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Oh, that's a different. Is that different? Yep. That's a totally. Before Mary gets her. Yes. Yeah. 
I, I wrote it down before I listened to what you said. I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a different, but uh, the word star can mean a lot of different things and your context will rule for interpretation. The good thing for us in Daniel 8 is we have the interpretation given to us in verse 24. It says that those stars are mighty men. But what threw me is, is verse 10, it grew up to the host of heaven and cause some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to earth. Yes. Okay. You tell, what do you think? What do you think? I would, I'm going to love it. Cause when Kay does the video today, she's going to explain the history that's going on here. But first of all, who is this horn? Let's go. Let's go. The rather small horn. Let's just talk about him first before we answer that question. Tell me a little bit of information about what you learned about this horn. What are some insights about him? It does say that he grew up to the host of heaven, grew up to the host of heaven. Now, we've already decided that the host of heaven are who? Who are the host? Who is the host? The saints or specifically the Jews. Now, this is super important for you guys to catch because up here we're talking about God's temple. And him and his work in his sanctuary, right? His holy place, the sanctuary and the sacrifice. This is all talking about Jerusalem and the temple and God over his people, Israel, right? Now we're talking about down here, who are the hosts and the stars? Well, they are the holy people and the mighty men, but both of them are what? Jews. Okay. So now he says he grew up to the host of heaven. Well, if you've already identified what the host is in your context as Jewish people, what does it mean he, that, that he grew up to them? What do you think that might mean? There you go. Maybe it means that whoever this little horn is, that he grew towards them. What did we see up here? Directional language, right? Towards the beautiful. And now tell me what we see about this guy when he's doing his thing. What verse are we in? Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. All right, good. So let's put that on here. He grew up to the host and the holy people. And then number nine, it says... The rather small harm, it grew exceedingly. Uh, toward the east, toward the south, the east, and the beautiful land. So let's do this. South, east, and beautiful land. You can put BL if you want to shorten it, <laughs> but the beautiful land. So here we have again, our directional diagram, which is the compass, right? And it's telling you which directions he's growing toward. And in this case, he uses the same language. He grew up to the host of heaven. He grew exceedingly in these directions. Okay, north, south, east, or west. And in this case, it lets us know the beautiful land. Now, what do we know about the beautiful land then? Remember context is, all these events are happening around what nation? Israel. Israel. So if Israel seems to be the, the heart of the conversation of everything that we've looked at, have you, would you say that on the whole, everything that we keep looking at keeps taking us back to the Jews are the center stage of everything that's being told to us. No matter what we look at concerning the, hey, the host, um, the stars, uh, the saints, everything points back to them being the Jews and the beautiful land, therefore, is where? Israel. Israel, or maybe Jerusalem specific if you're talking about this. So ge your geography then, when you're looking north, south, east, or west, and your map is being laid out for you in the text, what do you think it's north, south, east, and west of? What's it? Israel. Yeah. So the beautiful land, then he's heading in that direction toward the beautiful land. But I think it's also important for you to take note when you make your list, what is the aggression 
uh, magnified on as far as details of information. What is, is he talking about what he does in the North or the South or the East? No, he's only giving you details about what's going on concerning where? The beautiful land, the sanctuary, the host and the stars. So again, what we're seeing then just by list making is we're, we're seeing that what's going on in the, the vision, he's telling him information about things that are gonna happen in relationship to Israel, what's going to happen to her with these different beasts that are going to be coming up in, in time and history. Okay. All right. So we see the rather small home. He grew up to the host of heaven. He, again, he caused the host and the stars to fall. To the earth again. So what if they, what, it, what do you think it means now that you know that it's talking about Jewish people when it says he caused them to fall to the earth? What do you think he's saying? A person. He's knocking them down. Yeah, he's knocking them down or killing them, right? And they're dying. He's coming, he's trampling on them. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry, say. Yeah. What does it say in verse 13 then that might clarify that, that we've got that correct? What does it say that he that the rather small horn is doing there in verse 13? Trampling. He's trampling down the holy place and the host. And the host. Causing, <laughs> okay. horror. Cause, yeah, causing horror. And boy, is that ever a nice definition then of this? Whoever this rather small horn is, he, he tramples uh, down the holy place, the host. And then does it say for how long? 2, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. I think it's interesting that they, they laid it out that way and that's verse 13. Okay, I know that's a really sloppy board. But um, you'll, you'll see it better on the chart when I send the chart out to you. Um, when he talks about 2,300 days, now we've encountered quite a bit of time references so far, haven't we? Does this one seem to line up with anything we've had so far? Well, it's not. It's, it's a period of time. But it's 2,300 days because it's morning and evening. That six and a half years. Could be six and a half years. And that's if you de determine mornings and evenings are independent from one another. But what do we know about God when he speaks about there was evening and there was morning? That's one day. So what is 2,300? Probably one day. Now that that's, I'm just kind of leading you there because of my thinking on this, because there are two interpretations that commentaries will give to you. Did you all find that when you did your commentary work? So the first one was it could be um, six years. But if you take it the other way where it's evening and morning is one day and therefore 2,300 days is a total of how many years? Three years. So now... I think you're saying the same thing, but I know you're trying to distinguish. Yes, I am because one of them six results years. in six years and the other one results in three. As one day. Are you, okay, so if you do the math with the 2,300 evenings and mornings, so you just take 2,300 and divide it by 360, that gives you that six and a half years. Right. So are you saying we need to divide that in half first? Yes. Because God is counting end evening and morning mm -hmm. and adding it up to 2,000. Yeah. 2, yeah, I guess that's okay. that's what they say. So, but here's the cool thing. Either one works. And 
go figure, right? God is so good at doing this. I don't know how he does this because I guess he's God. <laughs> but when Kay gives you an explanation, she does a better job than I will do on it. But what happens is there are two possible interpretations. One leads you to a six-year total. The other one leads you to a three-year total. But my point is, does that either of those match with what we've already looked at before? When we looked at time, times, and half the time, how long is that? three and a half years, different than three years, right? So when you go back to that phrase and these things pertain to the times of the end, how does that explain that word pertaining? It's part of, but not the. Yeah. Final. It looks like, but it's not the, right. right? It's something that's similar to, but not. So the fact that the timing is not a matchup with Daniel 7's time, time, and half a time in Revelation 12 and 13, where we looked at those, the timing is not a perfect match, but it is a similar match. The thing that I also find interesting is the fact that what God does do is he distinguishes the day. He sets a determined amount of time. Now, whether we interpret it correctly or not really doesn't matter. But the fact is that the fact that God says it will be for he says, Daniel, give Daniel the interpretation, says the man over the Ulai Canal, right? And he says, it will be for 2,300 evenings and mornings. And when he gives him that, he gives a defined limited time frame, which is, which is um, well, what does that tell you about the whole scenario there? What is that? What is the impression that you get about who is God in all this and what's going on and Yeah, it's it's just just as if God is sovereign and he's all knowing and he determines the time, the appointed times. And he actually says that in here. One of my lists, I went through and listed all those statements about this uh, pertains to and each one of those, it says and it, the appointed time that God is assigned for this event to happen. And it kind of takes me back to when we looked at Nebuchadnezzar, where he says so many um, seven periods of time will pass over you until you will lift your eyes. Right. And so it's like God knows how long it's going to take you to humble your heart. And he's in this prophetic dream that he gave to him. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. And when these seven periods of time are accomplished, then you will lift your eyes. Right. All right. There is a limitation to it. There's a limited time for the working of this rather small horn. Did we see that in Daniel 7 with the small with the little horn? Is there a limited amount of time that's given to him? Yes. So again, in both cases, we see God limiting a time, defining a time, and uh, setting in place basically a, a um a measurement of I, I'm in control of this, you're not, right? And I will accomplish, I will allow you to go so far, but then I'm going to put an end to it at a certain designated time. All right, so that's the rather small. Now let's go into interpretation because we've looked at this, we've looked at the rather small horn. I'm just gonna put a little yellow box around. I don't know if you can even see that from back there, but the rather small horn seems to be something it's almost as if they present this shaggy goat they talk about the large horn and as soon as they explain to you that you know that there is a conspicuous horn but it gets broken off and in its place are these four horns that show up and then it, as soon as they state that then they go oh but out of one of those or one of those will be this rather small horn. And so then all the detail that's given to you is concerning what? The rather small horn. So it seems like there's a progression of information that takes you to this to the grand finale. This is what I want you to focus on, Daniel, is this rather small horn because he has something to do with things of the time of the end, things which pertain to the time of the end. Um, how might you explain that in your own words? If it's something that pertains to the time of the end, but it's not the time of the end. A there you go. It's really a foreshadowing. Why do you think God does that? So that we can see the 
when you see the real thing that's causing the shadow when it does happen. Yeah, so that when it happens, you will know. I love that God says that over and over in his scriptures, even in the New Testament. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now so that when they come to pass, you will know, right? You will recognize it, you will see it, and then you will realize I am God, who I claimed I, I am. And you can put faith and trust in everything I have said to you. If I have said to you, I'm going to go from here to another place to prepare a place for you. And when I go, I shall return and, and take you to myself that you might be where I am also. Guess what? If he said that, what do you now know? That that's exactly what he's going to do. And so when he gives you a, a, a foreshadow of something, as he's done here, he's saying things which pertain to it, he's giving you enough of the picture that you will understand what's going to happen at the end time. Now, what do we know then is kind of the activities that are going on at the end? What are, what are we looking for as we approach those days? Okay, there has to be a temple, right? Okay, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, although it's obvious, but yes. Pardon? And the sacrifices. The sacrifices. There's something about sacrifices that's going on, and then this person interrupts it. Whoever he is, he puts an end to the, the sacrifices in the sanctuary. That's interesting. We're not there yet, but in the holy place nonetheless. And he exalts himself to be what? Equal to the commander of the host. So when you're thinking about the end time, when Antichrist arrives, then he's going to be one that will do some of these same things that are very similar so that when you see him, you will recognize what he's done. The other thing I find interesting is what are the hope? What's going on with the host in here? What did, what was that? Um, verse 12. Why is God al allowing his temple to be trampled on and for the host and the stars to fall? There you go. Again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Israel never learn, right? On account of transgressions, the host will be given over to the horn, along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. And he said, then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to that particular holy one, who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes what? Horror. Causes horror. So their transgression, thank you so much. Their transgression causes horror. Whose horror? Their own horror. <laughs> they brought it on themselves. Again, if this pertains to the time of the end, what do we again now getting a picture about the things that are going to be happening at the end what's happening at the end time when the antichrist arrives there's there will be an abomination of desolation which is perfectly described right here really and who brings it on themselves the transgressors and who are those transgressors the jews more and more, isn't it getting more and more clear as you move through this? That in the beginning, you're like, so who are those saints? Who are those saints, right? But the more you study it, the more you realize it's all affixed to God, the holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish people, the, the, the holy people and the mighty men that God refers to as being those affiliated with the temple and with Jerusalem. And so here again, we're just getting more and more of this picture of what exactly is going to be taking place at the end. Okay, so I heard my beeper go off. So now when we go into, into interpretation, I won't write it in order to make it go quicker. Tell me what you learned about in interpretation. Who is the ram? Medo-Persia. Medo now you have something on that timeline that we did, right? She said, go back to your timeline and fill in anything extra. There was only a couple of things that needed to be added on. But you now have name for that second one, although we really already had it because of the close of Daniel part one, right, when we went into chapter five. But the ram represents Media and Persia, okay? Those two horns, the two-sided kingdom, the two, uh, the, the co-regency or co-ruling co of these two uh, peoples of Media and Persia. Okay, and then the goat represents Greece. Greece. You know what? Once you've established a pattern, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, 
who do you automatically know the next one has to be? Who followed Greece? Rome. Rome. It's so easy. Even though Rome will never be told to us by name, it's only referred to as a terrifying beast. We will be getting more information about it because we're going to look at that time frame when the Antichrist will arise. But he's always referred to in these cryptic words that we're not so familiar with, like the little horn. Okay. And you have to learn to identify his various forms of, of titles that he has, just like God has many titles. This Antichrist that comes at the end, he has many uh, titles as well. Okay. We see that the goat represents uh, the kingdom of Greece. And who is the large conspicuous horn? Alexander the Great. We know that, but it's but in the text it says he's the first king, king of Greece. Again, back to horns being kings, right? So it hasn't changed, has it? Then the four horns, what do you think horns are there? Another more kings. The four kings that arose represent four kingdoms which arise from uh, arise from his nation. Did you notice that? And I capitalize on that because what we're doing is we're staying again then within the kingdom of Greece. We're not going beyond it. So they're not four kingdoms, they're four kings. They literally are four kings. They use the word kingdom because that's another way to translate it. Remember how I said often they will vacillate. They'll say a king, he's a king over a kingdom. And yet in this kingdom, it's still what kingdom? Greece. Greece. So apparently there's a king, Alexander the Great, and what follows him when he is broken off is four other kings who somehow divide up his kingdom and rule in it, right? And it says, but in the latter period of their rule, those four kings, what happens? Now, here's something interesting. He's rather small, right? So if he's rather small, that's saying rather small in comparison to whom? His other three co-regents, workers, right? And yet the emphasis is placed on him, even though he's rather small. So why do you think that is? Why is the emphasis placed on him, even though he's probably in the eyes of the world, he's less important? There you go. Back to Israel again, because of the treatment that he will he will inflict upon Israel. So he becomes significant and big to us because he's attacking Israel. But in the scheme of things, when you go back historically and study about him, he's a rather small horn. He has a small, maybe a smaller kingdom or, or he doesn't really promote him. He doesn't come across as the big leader of the pack, so to speak. Okay. Um, a king will arise, and then we, we're going to get the history on that with K. And it pertains to verse 17. What does it say? What is your clock on in that? The time of the end. The time of the end. And verse 19? Time the, the appointed time of the end. And verse 26? Many days. Many days in the future. So make sure you get your clocks on all your time references. Make sure all your horns have little crowns so that you know that they're speaking of kings. Uh, understand that we are talking about two kingdoms, not multiple, even though it breaks down with four rulers within that kingdom. It's still one shaggy goat, and that is Greece. So we have Medo-Persia with very little information. All the emphasis is going to be placed on the, the kingdom of, Great, of Greece. And the purpose of that is to point out this rather small horn whose activities pertain to the things that will come at the end, at the time of the end. Any questions? You all did good. That was, wasn't that fun one? That was a really fun one to do, I thought. All right. I hope that's good enough for everybody. Thank you guys for coming <laughs> and joining us. And we're going to do the video now. We're going to watch K, okay? We've got, we've got a full hour easy to do it.